Hi, you guys, and welcome back to a Simple Homesteading Life podcast. I am Anne, and after a very long break, I am back at it because I missed sitting down and just talking to you guys about everyday homesteading life. So this episode, believe it or not, is five important reasons as to why you cannot procrastinate living the life we do. And one tip on how to stay organized and get things done at the right times. So I took a quite long break. I think it was two months from being able to record any podcasts because I have this rule that states my homestead comes before anything else. Never before my family, but before my brand and my business because this is what allows us to be sustainable. If we don't put in the work, we don't get the reward. Now, that goes to say that there are sometimes we have to balance, especially since a farm girl in the making is my brand and my job. And my job is to educate you guys, I had to really pick and choose in regards to what I can contribute to in this moment in time. So with that said, we're going to get into this. And we're going to talk about how to properly get ready to plan for next year. Now, Number one, the first thing you can never procrastinate on, and this is basically something everybody understands and knows, but we're going to talk about how to stay organized. The first thing is seed starting and planting. We always seem to have issues in regards to when we should start seeds. Uh, Is it the right time? Is the temperature right? Do I have room to start seeds? And then we get into, I can't drop these seeds right now because it's too cold or it's still too hot if you're living in the southern states, whatever the case is. But it's important to have a plan in place so you are able to start them at the appropriate time and get them in the ground at the appropriate time. You don't want to do what happened to me and what I did this year. Because I spent so much time trying to get the brand under control last year at Q4, basically, November, December, um, ish in that time frame, I was late ordering my seeds. And this was before the pandemic hit. So there was no excuses as to why I didn't get seeds. I had dropped the ball. I couldn't get them in time. I had to wait for basically at the bottom of the totem pole to be able to even get my sheet seeds shipped to us, which had me ordering them so late. And then what happens? I started them and then we lost them. And then I had to start them again and they took, but then the weather didn't hold. And I ran into a problem into regards to what am I going to do, especially because I didn't have a greenhouse and I still don't. I have a pop-up one, but sometimes that's not very efficient when you're consuming so much of what you grow. This spring, we had horrible, horrible weather. It was extremely cold, extremely wet. For those of you who don't know, I live on the coastal side of Washington State, where it's known to be, you know, basically a rainforest where we're at. We get rain nine months out of the year, but it extended and it extended quite heavily. So those of us who resided here got hit with not being able to put their 
food items into the ground in a timely manner without having to create polytunnels or something that was going to protect them from the heavy amount of rain and the slugs that were just decimating our whole entire garden. So we ran into that problem. Like, for example, my potatoes should have been planted in the middle of March. However, I didn't get them planted until basically the middle of April. And then when finally everything for the spring garden was in the ground, the slugs destroyed it all. Gone, 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 gone. Not the deer, not the rabbits, nothing but the slugs. I was combating them every single day, going in, picking them off, throwing the slugs to the waterfowl, the whole works, but we could not stay on top of the problem. And then it remained cold and wet and I did not have polytunnels in place. And everything was studded and delayed. Now, mind you, the whole area, the whole area from basically Washington through Oregon on the coastal side suffered immensely. But again, there was nothing we can do, but yet I could have, could have built better polytunnels over the space to allow my food to actually grow. And then came the summer garden. <laughs> the summer garden actually got started really quite well as in regards to the seeds, but the weather again did not hold. My tomatoes were pretty much stagnant. They were tall sticks that were about nine inches tall, yellow leaves. They were destroyed. And basically I looked at Justin and I said, it is time to build this polytunnel now or we're not going to get any tomatoes. So we created a polytunnel, which I'm actually writing up right now, a quick and easy one for you guys to throw up and you won't have to spend a lot of money doing it. Now, we finally got the tomatoes to where they were recovering and they look gorgeous in this polytunnel. They're growing great, but I have no fruit sets. I have very little fruit sets, I should say. So the polytunnel should have been built way early. I've learned my lesson now I know that I cannot grow tomatoes here without a polytunnel. All right, let's recap this real quick. Spring stunk, uh, summer stunk. I barely got a yield out of anything. Part of it was my fault. Didn't order my seeds on time. Um, I should have ordered them the second the first catalog came in. So there's your tip right there. As soon as you get your first catalog, pick and choose what you're going to order. Don't wait for all your catalogs to come in. Know what you want to order and at least order something so you can get something going. The next tip is, is that if you need a polytunnel because your weather is not adjusting to it, get it done in the spring because you can pretty much determine how your spring and summer is going to go. And then from there, pray <laughs> that everything lines up accordingly and drop your starts when you're going to need to, regardless of the weather. You've already started them. It's just time to drop them and protect them at that point. Now, sticking with the first point, let's talk about the fall garden. Some of you guys don't even do a fall garden, be it because your climate is just way too cold to do it or whatever the case is, but I would always encourage you to try a fall garden. If you don't want to do something really big, definitely do something small, you know, just to give it a try. You'll be amazed at what you can grow. So with the failing of the spring garden, with the pretty much failing of the summer garden, let's just say it really failed, I went ahead and said, 
that's it. My fall garden is going to be successful. Now, in August, we've had some extremely long dry spells and some great weather this month compared to in June and July, where I was still wearing a flannel with fleece lining on the inside and sweatpants. Here I am in shorts and a tank top in August, the way it was meant to be. So I got ahead of myself and I planned myself accordingly. I started the seeds exactly on time. Not concerned with the fact that the weather was still a little too warm. Not concerned with the fact that I may, everything may bolt by the time that comes the end of August. But what I did differently, I told myself, this is it. You've got a one shot deal. This is what you're going to do. So we planted everything in waves, meaning that I started broccoli one week and two weeks later, I started a second round. I was very true to myself to saying that if I'm going to get a yield this year, it's going to be coming from the fall garden. And I made myself go out there in the heat, in the cool, in the rain and plant my fall garden on time. And I'm going to show you guys pictures on my social media account of how on time the fall garden really is at this point. My carrots and beets and cabbage, radishes, broccoli, and cauliflower and Swiss chard have already started to come up, which is great because here where we reside, you never know when the weather's going to flip on you and you're back in cool weather. This morning, I was out doing chores from 630 until about 845 and it was 58 degrees. Mind you, I live in the mountains and we're a little cooler anyways, about five to 10 degrees cooler than town is. But this is what I'm saying. You never, ever know. If you are unsure about how your weather is going to hold, plant in two sessions. Remember, I always talk about succession planting and companion planting. So I went ahead and just planted accordingly based on two weeks apart for multiple items just to ensure a yield. Will the garden be successful for fall? God only knows. I mean, at this point... I'm, I've done everything I can possibly do. I'm out there hand watering them. I'm, I'm thinning them out quickly on top of it on spot. And the only thing we can hope for is that the weather actually remains in a moderate temperature zone to number one, allow the starts to germinate, but then to remain slightly cool. So nothing bolts. So, you know, living this life, a garden is a garden and we have to try the best we can to ensure that we're going to get some food out of it. Right order your seeds on time, sow them on time, harvest quickly, and then plant the next season exactly when it should be planted. And if you need to succession plant it, pull what you need out and drop in what you need. I mean, it's so easy, but yet our lives get so busy that we sometimes slip past that and then we get frustrated and then we have nothing. Tip two on where procrastination doesn't work in the homesteading life, okay? is preserving. You know, there's so many times that I'm like, oh, I've got a, another day or two that I can actually put this up. And then I look at it and I'm like, no, I don't. And I'm up canning until one o'clock in the morning because I know that if I push it off one more day, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. So we've got to stop and really think about this. Preserving comes in different folds, okay? And I'm going to break down the folds for you in how we can successfully put up foods without feeling overwhelmed, without feeling our workload is crazy, and without the failure of losing something because we didn't put it up quick enough. 
there are multiple ways we can handle this. So we're going to talk about why preserving should never, ever be procrastinated on in the homesteading life. So it all begins in January. Yes, January is where it all begins. Now, throughout the, the November, December, those months, October, you went through and you've been consuming out of your pantry. So you have a rough idea of what's in there and what you would like to put up more. But in January, you are going to need to break down your entire pantry. You're going to need to make sure you inventory it properly and you need to make sure you're rotating your jars, which you should have been doing all along. But sometimes something slips back there and you forget it or you missed it or whatever the case was. So January is where it starts. Rotate your jars efficiently. Check your lids to make sure none of them popped. Make sure that you write down your staples of what you're going to preserve and how many of those items you need to put up this year in order to feed your family. Let me give you an example of what I mean by your staples. Tomato products. That is a staple. That is a staple. Jam, it's not really a staple. It's something that you can put up regardless of what you have on hand. If your blueberries failed, you can put up extra raspberry. If your, you know, the, the peaches didn't come in, you could put up extra nectarine or apples or whatever the case is. We're talking staples. Tomato product is a staple. And if you are anything like me, I put up just about everything I potentially can with tomatoes because I am very sensitive in the palate, and I can taste the metallic that's in the jars if I have to buy it from the market. So stewed tomatoes, crushed tomatoes, whole tomatoes and basil, for example, um, those are items that are your staples. You need to know how much your family consumed last year of what you canned and how much you need to put up this coming up year. So once your inventory is done, right, you can then go back to point one and order the appropriate types of seeds that you're going to need and if you need more. So we know that the pandemic hit us and there was food shortages left and right and we couldn't get a hold of a lot of things. The seeds were not available and it was just it was it, it was it was just a disaster. It was a it was a, a awakening to many individuals that they needed to be a lot more prepared. So if you know that you have consumed all of your whole tomatoes that you can, for example, then maybe what we should do is just can crushed tomatoes. You're going to get more in your jars because you really are realistically going to crush your whole tomatoes you can anyways, and you're going to increase the amount of seeds that you need for this. So once your inventory is done, right, you can then go back to point one and order the appropriate types of seeds that you're going to need and if you need more. So we know that the pandemic hit us and there was food shortages left and right and we couldn't get a hold of a lot of things. The seeds were not available and it was just it was it, it, it was it was just a disaster. It was a it was a, a awakening to many individuals that they needed to be a lot more prepared. So if you know that you have consumed all of your whole tomatoes that you canned, for example, then maybe what we should do is just can crushed tomatoes. You're going to get more in your jars because you really are realistically going to crush your whole tomatoes you canned anyways, and you're going to increase the amount of seeds that you need for this. So another procrastinate, procrastination that we manage to achieve as home food preservers is we think that we have enough time from what was picked to preserve it. And in truth, we don't. We don't. We should be preserving items the moment that it was picked, unless it's a tomato that isn't 
truly ripened and you could feel it and it's still hard and you need to give it a day or two to ripen just a little bit more, that's fine. But when you harvest your corn, preserve your corn. When you harvest your carrots, preserve your carrots. When you harvest your cucumbers, preserve them. You do not want them to sit more than a 24-hour period because what happens, the freshness starts to die out of them. Even if they're kept in the refrigerator, the enzymes are still producing in them, causing them to continually, continually ripen. So those are not options in our lifestyle. So I want you to know that I'm human. I mean, I, I have to teach you guys the this is the way that it is, right? Because it's you get a better preserved item if you were able to pick and preserve it immediately from that moment in time. But we're all human. I'm human. There have been times where something will sit in the fridge for a day or two, maybe even three. And then I have to decide, is it worth canning? Because if I can it at this point, is it going to turn to mush? in a short period of time? Should I go ahead and dehydrate it? Should I go ahead and maybe just ferment it real quick and consume it like in a shorter period of time? Those are choices. That's why it's important to broaden your spectrum in regards to preserving foods and not only just dehydrate and can items, but to learn how to freeze them properly. And there is a properly in there and to learn how to ferment food items as well too. So those are things that you have to think about continually as you're living this life. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, I'm gonna tell you, no matter who you are, where you live, there is always someone that is gonna help you. And I'm not gonna lie. I can pull in a friend that lives in the suburbs and say, can you help me? <laughs> please, please, I will give you a jar or two, three jars, whatever you want, but can you come help me? Whether or not it's something as simple as, keep me company here, peel these carrots for me, or do whatever it is, there are people out there that are willing to help you. You need to just swallow your pride and find them and make friends with them and reward them by giving them either eggs or canned goods or whatever it is and get them to help you get through that task. I've got 50 years of corn that I got to process today. 50 years. And unfortunately, my little helpers are gone. And so it's going to be me and Justin basically shucking, um, blanching, and then from there canning it. So it happens. Find your friend. And if you're feeling overwhelmed, I'm going to tell you, no matter who you are, where you live, there is always someone that is going to help you. And I'm not going to lie. I can pull in a friend that lives in the suburbs and say, can you help me? <laughs> Just please, please. I will give you a jar or two, three jars, whatever you want. But can you come help me? Whether or not it's something as simple as keep me company here, peel these carrots for me or do whatever it is. There are people out there that are willing to help you. You need to just swallow your pride and find them and make friends with them and reward them by giving them either eggs or canned goods or whatever it is and get them to help you get through that task. I've got 50 years of corn that I got to process today. 50 years. And unfortunately, my little helpers are gone. And so it's going to be me and Justin basically shucking, um, blanching, and then from there canning it. So it happens. Find your friend. If you are blessed with enough of a yield to take days to go ahead and can it, then by all means, take the days to go ahead and can it. For tomatoes, for example, some people, you know, they make multiple items like myself, and then I have to have days to can something. Like the tomatoes that I have right now, a portion of them are going to go to making tomato sauce, a uh, spaghetti sauce, sorry, because it's easy for Justin or the kids to grab a jar and make dinner when I am unavailable to do so. And then the rest of it 
I've determined is going to go ahead and go towards just canning either crushed tomatoes or stewed tomatoes because that is what we consume the most of. And then from the crushed tomatoes, I can make pizza sauce or I can make chili sauce or I can make whatever I want with it. So I've learned to minimize how much I'm putting up in order to simplify the job that I have and to get the task done quicker and to lose less produce in that process. So let's recap tip number two in preserving foods. Inventory your pantry in the beginning of January. Know exactly what you need to order in seeds. Know exactly what's left in your pantry. Check your lids, rotate your jars. Do all of the pantry staple inventories that need to be done, okay? The second tip is don't procrastinate and when you're going to put up your foods. Don't just assume that something has a couple more days to get it done because in truth, you may lose the longevity in the long run if you do not can your food items within a day or two after picking them. You won't lose them. They just will not last quite as long as if you preserved it when it was really, truly fresh. Number three, if you need to take days to get something done, do so. Find that one person that will come and help you peel carrots, stuff jars, do whatever it takes to get it done efficiently without you losing your sanity. That is the main point. You cannot procrastinate when you're raising livestock. You cannot procrastinate when you're raising livestock for meat. I should clarify that, okay? There are we've learned so much this year with the pandemic and, you know, just the, the environment and, you know, the condition of our country and things like that, that procrastination is not the key. Now, more times than not, most people have never raised broiler chickens, but this year people came in were you know, saw the, the lack of meat in the grocery store. So they needed to raise their own animals chickens were being purchased for egg laying left and right. And there were hatcheries were not running out of poultry, but they were in high demand for us. So as sustainable homesteaders or as homesteaders, we need to have a plan for how we're going to put meat in the freezer every single year. So as I mentioned, laying heads, oh my goodness, everybody and their mother at that point wanted laying hens. Every single person needed laying hens this year because they saw the shortage, like I mentioned, in the market and they wanted to start owning their food source. Amen. That's what we want. We want more people to start owning their food source and to stand up for that right to be able to do so. But it crossed over into broiler birds as well. Broiler birds such as Cornish crosses were in high demand, in high demand. And many people could not get them when they needed them. And if you're anything like me, it's important that you receive your boiler birds when you order them. Because if not, it pushes you back and it causes you to have issues along the lines. Now, let me explain what I'm saying here. Though we homestead on two acres, you have to understand we are in the woods. So we basically have two acres, but more than half of it, more than half is actually consumed with trees. So we have a very small space that we work with. And on top of that, we're continually clearing the land to give us a little bit more room. Now, I have to be able to bring my broiler birds in in two flows. And the reason why is because I don't have enough of the land cleared enough that I can bring in 65 birds in one fail swoop and then get them all done and into the freezer. It doesn't work like that for us. So for us, we break it down into two rounds. 
if I do not bring them in at the appropriate appropriate time, I could be butchering all the way out until November. And in our climate and in our area, that is not the best thing for us. But there's multiple reasons as to why that's not good for us. And it could flow into why it's not good for you too. It's important to raise Cornish crosses, Cornish cross at the right time. Okay. And the reason why is because weather plays a huge factor into it. If you don't have a huge barn where you can keep them when the, you know, the snow starts falling or the rain starts falling heavily, then you're running into potential health risks for your flock. And that's not what you want. So when I say I need to bring in birds by May, grow them out, butcher them, bring in my next round two weeks prior to butchering in this round, just to get them done and butchered in September, there is a strategic plan as to why. I cannot procrastinate when I place my order. Like I can't wait until the last minute and go, I need to order these and hope and hope that they're going to arrive and put them in my freezer. Beef was short this year. I couldn't even get a half of a cow to put in my freezer because people were buying them left and right before me. I didn't even stop and think that I should have done this way months in advance, because now everyone is scared and concerned about having food. Okay, quick recap on number three. Do not procrastinate when it comes to raising livestock. Place your orders in for your broiler birds immediately, as soon as you can. Even if you're not going to get your second or your first round until August, have it put into place. Do not wait for that. It showed this year that you should never wait for us to place an order in regards to broiler birds or cows or pigs or whatever you want to consume throughout the year. Do not hesitate, especially if you're not raising your own. The second part of it is, is that if you cannot do it all at once, break it up and do it in two sessions. It's totally fine. I do it. It works wonderful for my homestead and it's okay. The second tip, make up a backup plan for in case your freezer should fail for whatever reason, generator, or have a little bit of extra funds tucked away to get a new freezer if that should ever occur. Point number four on why you should not procrastinate on this topic. And I am going to tell you, it is something Justin and I are working on to this day, even after seven years of homesteading. It is something that is a thorn in us, and it is something that we often argue about, and it is something that is unavoidable. It's the projects on your homestead, and there are always projects on your homestead. There will forever and a day be projects on your homestead. There will never be a time where there's not a project happening on your homestead. I'm going to give you a few tips that we really finally nailed down this year in regards to how to ensure these projects get done in the time frame that they need to be completed. Much like ordering seeds and planning the year in regards to the garden, this begins in January. In January. In January, you should be sitting down as a couple or solely or wh whoever, whoever you work with, if it's just you or your spouse or whatever the case is, you should be sitting down in January and thinking about what needs to be accomplished this year. And you can't say you don't know because you could step out your back door and you can look at something and go, yep, we need to work on that this year. So when you do something like that, don't take on more than you can chew. We did the first couple of years and it was horrible, horrible. We fought like cats and dogs. We didn't understand each other. We couldn't figure out why it wasn't getting done. But this year, this year it got done. So in January, start your planning on what you want to complete for the following year. 
Okay, so you have a plan. You know that there's five projects projects you want to complete. Now what? You look at the money. <laughs> you look at the money and you go, can we afford to do all of these things? Or should we start looking for free and recycled material now and minimize our cost on that? And if you go this route of looking for free and recycled material, it is going to take longer. That is why it's so important to know what you need to do in January so you can start collecting the material during the cool months still. So when the time comes and you can get out there and just pan it out, it's done. So funding is a huge factor into this and learning how to do it in a homesteaders mentality of rebuilding and recycling and reusing and minimizing your footprint takes a little bit longer. But in truth, it is quite rewarding, especially if you are on a fixed budget. The last point is your work schedules. Though I work at home, I'm going to tell you, I, my best friend Amy just told me I looked like crap <laughs> the other day. And the reason why is because my eyes were completely swollen. I was tired. We had been pushing ourselves hard because the weather was so beautiful in August and we had had such crappy weather in June and July that we were playing catch up on a lot of projects. Now, it's okay. It's okay to do that. But we had to consider, Justin and I had to consider, what our work schedules actually look like. I have been putting my work schedule, hence the podcast, on hold just to be able to complete projects around the property. So that was the reason for my absence. You know, there's multiple reasons, but that was one of the main things. So stop and look at your work schedules and see how you can do this. Now, here's a few tips for you on how to get it done if both of you guys are still working. Okay, so again, I work from home, right? So I can modify my schedule a little bit. When it does happen like that, something has to get dropped in order to do so, that's fine. Many of you guys don't work from home, but you are home full-time and you have children to raise or property to take care of. And your spouses may or may not work off the property, but more than likely, 99% of you guys have a spouse that works off the property. And how are you doing it when that's happening? Are you weekend warriors? Are you getting out there on the weekends, getting it done and moving on? Or are you doing what we do? Justin has to be out the door for work at 3.30 in the morning. He gets home at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. He then naps until 4.30. And then from 4.30 to 7.30, we work on projects. The kids make dinner. And then I sit down at my desk and do my job that I need to do as well, too. So is that going to work for you guys? Probably not. Okay, so how can you make this work for your schedule where you're going to sit down every single Sunday? Sunday, you're going to sit down together and you're going to say, this is what we want to complete this week. And in order to complete this, this is how many hours a day we need to do this. And if it doesn't work, by all means, forgive yourselves and let it go and then pick it up somewhere else along the line. You know, it takes years to establish a homestead, years and years and years. It takes years of doing things wrong in order to do something right. So forgiveness is the key. And you've heard me say this multiple times across all of my platforms, especially here on the podcast. Forgiveness is the key. But sit down on Sundays and really talk to each other and set goals for what is going to be accomplished every single day. And then what's going to be accomplished on the weekend. Don't skip this. Sundays are your days to reconnect, especially if one or more than one person is working away from the home. 
All right, let's recap point number four. And point number four is projects. Do not procrastinate when it comes to projects or you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to feel like a failure. You're going to feel like you didn't accomplish anything. But in truth, forgiveness is the key to getting things done. Okay, so you're going to stop and plan your week accordingly on Sunday for how your tasks can get done. But let's backtrack. I'm sorry. You're going to sit down in January and you're going to plan all the projects that you want done for the year. And then on Sundays, you're going to sit down and plan it weekly on how much can get done throughout the week and how much can get done on the weekend. If you can't get to that, forgive yourselves for that. Number two, the funds. Think about how much you have to be able to invest in these items and whether or not you need to search for reclaimed and reused material to continue to build with. If you can talk to each other through this, then you're going to be able to successfully accomplish the goals that you set in January. And that is a must. I think the biggest struggle for homemakers is this last point, number five, in the procrastination game. And especially during the summer and preserving seasons, this is something that we always say we procrastinate on. But in truth, it's not procrastination. We've just rebalanced ourselves to make priorities And our home is usually the bottom of that priority during the growing and preserving season. And that is okay. So this last topic on procrastination, we're going to talk about the home. We're going to talk about how to be able to balance home with homesteading and the garden and the preserving and the raising livestock. These are just simple tips for you guys to not lose your sanity in this process because some of you guys feel like failures. I do. I do. I feel like a failure because right now I've got a chair full of laundry that I can't fold because I'm busy doing something else. But we're going to walk work our way through this. As I mentioned, I have a chair full of laundry in my bedroom that belongs to me that I need to fold and put away. And because I'm out in the gardens or with the livestock or working on the brand or preserving, you know, whatever the case is, that is not a priority during this season in life. And nor should it be. We have 26 million million other things to do, especially if you work from home. And especially now if you're used to your children going away to school during the hours and all of a sudden now you're at in-home education, it is very difficult for many to regain and find that balance. So here's the thing. First and foremost, forgive yourselves for what is not done and do the bare minimum of what needs to be done. I said it. There you go. That is not meaning that you are lazy in any way, shape, or form. It just means that you are rebalancing yourself into finding the priorities of how to keep a sane household. Utilize the people in your house to help you out. Yes, amen, absolutely, 150%. You have children. It doesn't mean make them a slave or a servant to what you're doing, but you need to teach them the ground rules of how to grow up and be a responsible human being. And that begins with pitching in in the home. If they can reach over the sink, they can wash the dishes. If they can reach over the stove, they can learn how to cook. If they can pick and balance something like a little five-year-old, they can sweep and vacuum the floor. If they can use the potty, they can clean the bathroom. Utilize them. Assign a chore chart that will help you break it down so you're not doing it. Now, it's not going to be spick and span perfect to how you would have done it, but it's clean. And we're going to celebrate that success and reward and it's clean, and you've taught your children how to take ownership in the space in which they are occupying. 
So I talk about utilizing your children to help you out and pitch in around the house and the ages that they could do so. I think it's most people get confused that I would say give a five-year-old a broom and have them sweep or vacuum. Absolutely. But I'm also going to tell you to utilize your spouse as well too and have them pitch in and help inside the house. Now, I grew up in a world that my mother never asked my father to clean the house or cook. Other than when he was barbecuing, my dad pretty much didn't do anything within the home. It was up to my mother and my sisters and I to get it done. And that was okay. It worked for my family. Now, I will tell you, Justin doesn't do much around inside the house. He may on occasion pitch in and help me wash the dishes or dry the dishes because I, I need some help doing that. But he doesn't do any chores in the house. But if I did ask him, can you cook dinner? I've got to finish this project. He would jump in and, you know, get it done immediately. So don't be afraid to partner with your spouse in asking for the help that you need in the home. They're there too. They should help for real. So we talked about the procrastination on the property that causes most homesteads to fail or to cause friction within the um, the spousal unit and things like that. So let's simplify the process. I'm going to give you three tools, three tools to ensure that your property can actually run smoothly and your homesteading experience is completely enjoyable. Okay. There's only three things that you really need for this. So Let's get into those three things, and it's up to you on how you choose to incorporate these three tips onto your property. Eliminate procrastination and set yourself up for success by getting a planner. Whether or not it's a big planner that you can hand right in or a digital planner, get a planner, get it set up, and get organized. But more importantly, this planner needs to be accessible by both parties, by both adult parties, you and your partner. And it's nice that your children see it as well too. And the reason why is because they have a better understanding of what needs to be accomplished and that they may need to help out along the lines if it is required of them. So get a planner, digital, a handwritten planner, whatever the case is, but make it accessible to all parties. That is the most important tip right there. The second tip to minimizing procrastination is to get a dry erase board. Whether the dry erase board is for the month or the week or the day, put it in a location where everybody can see it so everybody can be held accountable for what the contribution that they are bringing back to the family is. If it's chores for the children, if it's chores for you, if it's tasks for your partner, whatever it is, put the dry erase board in a common space and utilize it every single day. Checking off something on that task list, whether it's daily or monthly or weekly, whatever it is, is so key to rewarding yourself for the little things that got done. So number two, get a dry erase board. The size is up to you and the space that you have in your home. The last tip that I can give you to really discourage procrastinating on the property and your homestead in your home is communication and forgiveness. Learn how to talk to each other, whether it's to your children or to your spouse or your partner or whatever it is, learn how to communicate properly and learn how to forgive yourselves if the job doesn't get done. Again, homesteading takes years to accomplish, and we're still always continually fine-tuning what we have. We'll make mistakes along the lines. But if you can communicate your desires, your wish, your goals, then your partner can get on board with you, and you can plan accordingly to how to be successful in getting the jobs done. And if you can't get it done, forgive each other. 
it's okay. It really, really is okay. Man, what a way to come back into podcasting, right? After being gone for two months, I jump into it heavily on the topic of procrastination while giving you the resources to how to beat procrastinating on the homestead. So I hope that you actually take the little tips that I was able to give you, put them into place, start today. So next year, come January, you've got these patterns and routines into place and it's a lot easier flow for you for 2021. Until then, practice it. Practice it and pick up the supplies that I told you about, the planner, the dry erase board, practice communicating and forgiving. These are truly the best tips that you can have into having a successful homestead and preventing the procrastination from occurring on your property. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, go over and give us a good rating and a thumbs up, and we'll talk to you next week.